If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 11 for a few moments as we bring our meeting to a close. I want to say a sincere word of thanks to Dr. Overly and to the choir, as well as to the musicians and to everyone that's here tonight, because, well, the, the singing isn't all that great without a number of us here to sing together and rejoice together. And it is right that we rejoice in these great truths, the great themes of each of the pieces that we have been singing or were put before us, because there is no greater reality than that God came into this world. So we want to be thinking about that in a certain way even before we close. We're going to sing again, don't worry. We get another opportunity. Heart the Herald Angels Sing. Can't leave that one out, of course. And we'll sing that in just a few minutes. But Matthew chapter 11. For those that are visiting and are not normally with us, first of all, we hope to see you again sometime. Uh, you're very welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, but also, we have been going through a series on the texts of Handel's Messiah. And so we've been doing this. This is the third year, actually, coming around to December just working our way slowly through the various verses that appear in Messiah. So we are now in Matthew 11, 28, 29, and 30. And I want to just continue the series and look at this tremendous portion of God's Word that is familiar to many of the Lord's people, maybe not always, uh, maybe isn't considered at this time of the year, but I trust it will be considered with profit. I don't know what brings you here, or in fact, I don't know what's going on in your mind and heart or in your life this very moment. And we're singing, we're rejoicing, and many of us are really thrilled at the thought of, of all the themes of the Incarnation. But maybe there's something that overshadows all of that in your life. And I trust that even through the language, the precious words of the Lord Jesus that we will consider for a moment here tonight, that you will be greatly helped. So let's read the Word of God, Matthew 11, verse 28. And Jesus speaks here. He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Will you bow your heads before the Lord just momentarily to pray? Lord, we need your help. And we are thankful for the grace that finds us here. Oh, how merciful you've been to each one of us. And I pray that whatever burdens we carry, that the very text that we will consider in these moments will be brought to your hearts with power and we'll feel the assurance of Christ's willingness and ability to receive us and to help us. For those that may not be saved again, we pray, open their eyes. May it please Thee, O God, to work in hearts and lives and families. And we ask, Lord, even as, again, we often think of the burdens and cares that many carry as they enter into this season and 
There are those that are missing around the table, missing from their chair in the home. We pray again, comfort in the way only thou art able to do. So grant us thy help, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were God, how would you send your son? In what fashion would you send him into this world? I imagine that many would have him arrive in a scene of of the grandest nature, in a great display of human strength and glory. He would come into the world, no doubt, in the peak of male maturity, wearing a crown, robed in unapproachable light, attended perhaps by celestial beings. I'm sure your imagination might even continue on with thoughts about what might happen if you were in control. We, the, the choir sang to us that piece, Thou who wast rich, and it gives this, this sense of, for love's sake became as poor, thrones for a manger did surrender. And so there is this sense that it shouldn't look the way it did. It should look some other way. There should be some other fashion in which the Son of God comes into the world, but this is not what we find. Instead, the carriage that brings the Son of God into the world is the womb of really a peasant girl. It's quite a stunning reality. And just as God caused the earth to bring forth grass and the living creature, so He causes Mary's womb to bring forth the Son of God in, as I've already stated, a miracle that defies our comprehension. We, we really can't get our heads around what happened there. And of all the miracles, I mean, we can go back to the beginning and see God making all things of nothing, and think of all the other miracles that we have recorded for us in Scripture. None compare to this miracle. He comes as descendant of Israel's greatest king, yet ignored, as if he was nothing. Those present at his birth are the lowliest of individuals, by and large, whether it be Mary or Joseph, the shepherd, Simeon, Anna, they are not those we might imagine ought to attend his coming into the world. But what I want us to think about, just for a few minutes, as I've indicated, is to think about from this text that this child, this king child, was born to work that you might live to rest. He was born to work that you might live to rest. You come to this portion of God's Word, and if you're going through Handel's Messiah, you will see the themes, even as we saw this morning, the idea of of Christ coming to tenderly care for His sheep. And having moved from Isaiah 40, verse 11, we come to this passage, which again focuses upon the tender care of the Son of God towards men. He is so kind, so merciful. And when we think of him coming into this world, we see that even the text that is before us gives a summary of his heart toward men. He has a heart towards them, one that, again, should defy our belief when we think of all of our sin and rebellion. The first words recorded out of the very mouth of our Lord Jesus, the first things we know he said It's found in Luke's Gospel in chapter 2, verse 49, when he's 12 years of age and he says, Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And so instantaneously, as he comes into the world and we begin to have record of what he has said, he draws attention to 
specifically work. I'm here to work. There is a mission that I am on. There's something I am here to do. This language carries on as he grows up and begins his ministry. For example, in John 4, 34, he says, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. John 5, 36, The works which the Father hath given me to finish. John 6, 38, he says, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And then finally, John 9, 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. So th- this is an emphasis. The 12-year-old son of God says, I must be about my father's business. As he conducts his ministry, repeatedly he says, there's a work that I'm here to accomplish. And when we come to the verses that we're considering tonight, he is inviting those that are burdened in their labor, that are heavy laden by their experience, and he says, I'll give you rest. I'm going to give you rest. And when you take the words in the context of Christ's ministry, he is saying, you, you're working under this burden. I am come to work to lift that burden from you and give you rest. And so whatever you're carrying, whatever burdens are upon your heart, and especially if you feel the weight that you're not right with God, and you have no assurance that when you leave this scene of time that you will go to be with Christ, that, that is what we want to resolve before we leave. I, I want you to go away knowing that I no longer have to live in doubt. I don't have to continue through my life wandering. Am I right with God? How can I know I'm right with God? What is the way to be right with God? What does God expect of me? Because there are thousands, thousands in Greenville and beyond that labor and labor and labor and labor, and they're trying to please God, and they can't do it. They fail. It's impossible. It can't be done. And so we see there in Bethlehem, we see born in that lowly condition. We see, yes, the glory of the Son of God made flesh, but we also see why. He's here to do a work, and in that work to give us great rest. So, as we've said, born to work that you might live to rest. I hope you get that. When you think of him, he came into this world. He was, he was born to work that I might live to rest. So, consider this with me under a number of headings. First, that you have no rest without acknowledging the universal problem. You have no rest without first acknowledging the universal problem problem. Look at verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This text gets taken in various ways, but ultimately it is focusing upon something very simple. And I want to see just two things here. First, that everyone is bearing a heavy burden. Everyone. All ye that labor does not indicate that there are those that don't labor. Everyone without Christ labors. doesn't matter where you're from. doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what condition of life. Everyone without Christ labors. We live in this world. This world has its burdens, and they are unavoidable. You think of the burden of loneliness. 
Is that a real burden? Is that something people go through? Is that something you go through? The burden of poverty. Experience of want. That of being without. It's everywhere. The burden of ill health. The awareness that this, this body is, is, is frail. Not just physically, mentally. Some with the, with the strongest physical frame show great weakness and frailty in the mind. This is real. This is a burden. There is the burden of abuse. The various experiences of abuse that many, oh, far more than we realize, endure. Sometimes in childhood, sometimes beyond. The burden of satanic oppression. Just dealing with someone, not here, but in another place, dealing with them, and they're, they're suffering this. They have, they have suffered greatly, a very keen sense of satanic oppression. It is a real burden. The burden of, of the fear of death. And these are just some. I'm just listing the fact that there, there are things, there are experiences that everyone faces, and, and money doesn't buy you out of these. We know that. That's That's evident. You only have to watch the news and see people who have all the means they could ever desire still suffer burdens that they try to escape, and they cannot. While these burdens may be very real and they are related to what our Lord Jesus is dealing with here, yet the problem he speaks of is more uniform across all men. It's more, it's more all-encompassing. It's a larger category. And it's the burden of a broken law. Now, and if you're not familiar with being in church or you're not really aware of some of the language and lingo of, of, of being in church and the Bible and so on, what do I mean by the burden of a broken law? You have a conscience. You, you, you're aware of the experience of that conscience and how it, it pricks you and you, you, it comes alive when you do wrong. Now, you can, you can change it and you can try to suppress it and people become very adept at trying to to not let it make its impact upon them so that they do wrong without feeling anything. But by and large, people know the experience of a pricked conscience, a conscience that makes you aware that what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you're saying is not right. And that burden is uniform across humanity. It doesn't matter where you go. You can go to people in any language in any nation, in any set of circumstances, and you can address them, as long as you can speak the language and communicate clearly, this theme, this understanding that there, there's something wrong, they know, they know. Their conscience bears witness that there is something broken. Something broken in them. Now, the problem isn't the law itself. It's not, you know, God has given us law. He requires a certain standard. You know that lying is wrong because you've been made by God. He has wired you and shaped you and created you in that way. You know that immorality is wrong. You know that theft is wrong. Taking what doesn't belong to you is wrong. And I could go on and on. You know these things are wrong. Now, 
There are aspects of it in which you might not agree that they're wrong. For example, you might try to sanctify lies by calling it, well, it's just a white lie. You know, you try to make it out that it's not as bad as it really is. But nonetheless, you know the larger category. You know what it's like to be told a falsehood. And you know the pain of being disappointed by someone who's led you the wrong way. You know that. You see it. You can bear testimony to it. The entire, all of humanity, everyone in this world understands this experience. And this then is the real burden Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. You're under this burden, this burden of a broken law. There's nothing wrong with the law. It is our inability to uphold it. And we feel the burden of it. You just can't, you can't do it right. So everyone is bearing a heavy burden. But secondly, this heavy burden gives no rest. It gives no rest. It's always there. Our inability to uphold What God requires, His standard, the Ten Commandments, whatever language you care to express it as, this this, this is a burden. And so so what what is Jesus doing? He is is calling men, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavenly, you under this, this burden. If you can just picture someone who's bowed over I'm feeling this burden, and they're trying to maneuver their way through life with a burden they can barely carry. And their limbs are feeling the weight of it, and their back is arched because of it. I want you to envisage that, because that is man. Man trying to bear the burden of doing what God expects of him, and we can't do it. We labor, and we fail. And this then is what Jesus is saying. You're under that burden, but I'm going to give you rest. I want to give you rest. I invite you to enjoy rest. And this brings us to the glorious truth of his work. You see, because Jesus Christ was the only man that ever lived and was able to stand upright under the burden of that law and not feel it breaking him or bending him over. He was able to carry it. Continually through his life, he bore the burden of what it means to to satisfy the just demands of God's law, to be pleasing to the Father, to do everything that's acceptable, to never think falsehood, to never express falsehood, to never do anything that would displease his Father. And there's such a beauty in this. To those of us who have experienced the the, the, the emptiness of, of, of trying to, to, through some form of religion, please God. We then see, well, well, oh, it's not about me. Or I don't have to depend upon my performance. No, Jesus says, no, come on to me. And for you who are trying to sustain your own righteousness and and endeavoring through, whether it's Roman Catholicism or just your own goodness and trying to do what's right, whatever it might be, I I don't care what name or label you give to it. If you're bearing that burden, then you can't really see the beauty of Jesus Christ. You're described in Isaiah 53, where it speaks prophetically of Jesus that there's no beauty in him that we should desire him. There's no beauty. There's nothing that draws you to him. Now, you might say, well, I like the Lord Jesus. I appreciate what he has done. He's a great example to us. 
That's not what I mean. That's not the same as desire. That's, that's appreciation. That's honor. That's respect. But desire, desire is a recognition that I need Him. That I can't live without Him. That my whole existence depends on Him. And I will never stand before God until I have Him. And Jesus is saying, come to me. That's what He's inviting. Don't, don't just recognize me or respect me or honor me, but come to me. We'll look at that in just a moment. But he is bearing this burden. And so there becomes a beauty in him. As a beauty, we say, oh, that's the answer. I don't have to carry this burden myself. He has borne it for me. There's a wonderful text in Isaiah 45. Beautiful little insight into what the Lord Jesus has come to do. 700 years before he came, Isaiah 45, 24, it says, Surely shall one say, In the Lord have I righteousness and strength, even to him shall men come. In the Lord have I righteousness and strength. So, so it's in him. I don't have righteousness in myself. I don't possess what I need. I, I, I'm, I am done. I, I've, I've been living under this burden of trying to be a, a good boy, as it were, and trying to respect people and to uphold what I think is right. But, but I don't. You, you know it. You know it. You can't live up even to your own expectations of what is right. You disappoint yourself, never mind others. And there's none of us any different. We're all the same. The preacher included. And so we say, yes, that's what I'm looking for. In the Lord have I righteousness. It's in Him that I have hope. So, there's no rest without acknowledging the universal problem. You're not going to experience the rest that this verse promises. You're not going to actually enjoy everything that Jesus came to accomplish until you first say, yes, I agree. There's a burden. There's a labor. We're all under it. And the only way out is to turn to Christ. If you think there's another way, if you think there's another way of reconciliation to God that hops over Christ, bypasses Christ, takes a little bit of Christ but moves on with something else, you, you're not going to have this rest. Secondly, there's no rest without acknowledging the apparent paradox there's no rest without acknowledging the apparent paradox. So you move on to verse 29 and 30. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, so just stop. Just, okay, come to me. You're, you labor, you're heavy laden, you're bowed down with this weight. And then he says, Take my yoke. He's saying, I'll give you rest, but take my yoke. Now, now, there's a strange thing going on there, isn't there? Because, because they say, I'm going to give you rest from what you're carrying. And we imagine then that means we just kind of let go of everything. But then he says, no, no, there's my yoke. And you know what a yoke is. It's, it's, a, it's a piece of equipment often used in an agricultural setting that, that pulls animals together so that they can pull a plow or do the work that's necessary. So it harnesses them together. But it means as soon as a yoke is on you, you know that you're carrying something. You don't put a yoke on something just to wear the yoke. The yoke means you're pulling something. You're, you're bearing a burden. So what is Jesus on about? 
you're under a burden. You're laboring, and I'm going to give you something else that... I'm going to give you a yoke that means you're going to pull something else. So there's a certain paradox here. Consider first, we must take Christ's yoke. We must take Christ's yoke. Take my yoke, he says. Take my yoke. As I say, it's very strange that he would say this. But he says, in verse 30, my yoke is easy. That is to say, it fits well. It's a well-fitting yoke. And my burden is light. What you're pulling isn't too taxing. But still, it's a yoke. You're pulling something. You're bearing some kind of weight. This doesn't sound like rest. Does it? I mean, it doesn't. It seems a strange thing to say. And this is why some of you stumble, actually. That's why some of you stumble. Because you have in your mind that, that what you want is, is nothing. You, you, want, you want what Jesus offers with, with, no, with no strings attached, as it were. There, there's no yoke, right? You want, oh, Jesus will pay for sin. That's good. I'll take that. Jesus is the way to heaven, I'll take that. But whenever it's pointed out that there's a yoke that comes with it, you say, oh, no, 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 I don't want that. And this is the thing. Jesus Christ gives a yoke. He gives his yoke. And you can't be saved without embracing that yoke. Now, now here's the thing. Now, you're worried about this. I want rest. Well, it's all comparative. It's all relative. It's what you're comparing it to. And Jesus puts a yoke on people that compared to everything else is, is light and easy, and you want to wear it. In fact, the reality is you can't get through life without a yoke. All right, you can't. You can't. There's always a yoke on you. I mean, it can be a yoke of another, another religion, the yoke of another god, even yourself. You, you, you worship self. That's a yoke. When you, you become your own savior. You're trying to achieve everything by your own strength. That's a yoke to bear. Maybe it's the yoke of materialism. The whole end is material success. Maybe it's the yoke of hedonism, that the whole purpose of your existence is your own pleasure and joy. These are yokes. And what you will find, even though they may appear appealing in the beginning, they are going to weigh you down into the dust, and ultimately they are going to disappoint you at the end. Jesus isn't taking away the reality of a yoke. You're going to have a yoke. But what he offers is a different yoke. Now, (laughs) there are parts of his yoke that aren't exactly pleasing. I mean, that yoke, because it yokes you to him, and you become joined to him and identified with him, means that as the world hates him, so it's likely to hate you. Now, that's a burden. It means that it may cause you to suffer in ways that if you were not taking this yoke, you wouldn't suffer. It means that, as it has done for many, even this very day, not here in America, but in other parts of the world, it's going to cost you your life. Some of you aren't willing to take this yoke. That's why you're not a Christian. It's not that you don't want to go to heaven. It's not that you don't want peace with God. You would have all of that. If you could kind of... If you, if you could... Let's put it this way. If you could write a check, you know, for an amount that you could afford to give away and have the benefits that Christ offers, you would, you would write that check. Sure. Sure. He's not wanting your money. He says, take my yoke. 
Identify with me. You're under a yoke. Christ says you need to take his yoke if you're ever to be saved. So we must take Christ's yoke. Also, why Christ's yoke brings rest? Why does it bring rest? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest onto your souls, onto your innermost being. Your, your real being will find rest. And you can see it because, because he, he is assuring you of the kind of character that he is. He is calling you to himself to take his yoke, and he is reassuring you, as a master, because that's what he is, as a master, I am meek and lowly. I'm not as other masters. I won't drive you. Again, going to this morning's message, not to double up, but this idea of his care, of his kindness and condescension and mercy, his gentleness towards us, is is being underlined here as well. This is a merciful high priest who has taken our nature. And so he says, I am meek and lowly in heart. You can be assured I'm not going to drive you you will find rest to your souls. Now, you may not, it may not be easy. Don't, don't get me wrong. Some Christians here have suffered. You've suffered the loss of family. You've suffered the loss of reputation. You've suffered the loss of maybe pushing on in your job and career. You've suffered all sorts of losses. You know what it's like. You know what it's like to be threatened. You're in the school system and for the public school, and you, you see your, your pension could just disappear in a moment. If you get exposed as a Christian not willing to pull or toe the line in the whole agenda through the schools, you've known that feeling. Some of you are aware of it. But ultimately, it will give you rest. It will give you rest. The, 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 The wise men traveled all that way not to burden themselves, but to get rest. They came all that way to see that infant child and fall down. See the language. To fall down and worship the child. Because this is the way to rest. These are wise men who, who plumb the depths of all the wisdom there is to, to acquire in their generation. They're constantly studying and musing and philosophizing and trying to figure out all the depths of all the answers to the questions of humanity. And they travel to Bethlehem. They go all that way to fall down before the infant king because that, that's the yoke that gives rest. His attachment to him. Thirdly, there's no rest without obeying the indiscriminate command. There's an indiscriminate command here, and this is how I'll close. He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Come unto me. He looks, he looks at this crowd. I, I, if you could only see him. The Lord Jesus looking at the crowd. Looking. Whites of eyes to whites of eyes. To everyone standing before them. And he says, Come. Come. Don't procrastinate. Don't wait. Don't think about it. Don't debate it. Don't go home to your family to discuss it. Don't, don't toss a coin. Don't cast lots. Come. Come. Come on to me. Why stand? Why wait? Why delay? Why carry on bearing that labor and burden that will never give you any confidence when you stand before God? No hope before the judgment bar. No, he says, come. Come to me. It's wonderful. This is, this is, this is what he's saying tonight. I love this. I love this. I preached in the streets for, for years, preaching on the streets. 
Sometimes I'd take, and this wasn't new to me, I saw someone else do this, I'd take what you call the ABCs of the gospel in order to declare to men a very simple message. The ABCs. First, A, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You just pepper the, congr- the people before you with that. People passing by. All have sinned. Doesn't matter who you are, you've sinned. In other words, like here, you've all, you're all under this burden. You're all under this labor. There's no relief for any of you. There's no answer. All have sinned. B, behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. You have to look to Him. He's the only one. The only one that can save. And until you're convinced this is the only way, the exclusive way, God's only answer for the problem of man's sin, you can never be saved. But they don't leave it there just looking at the Lord. You come to the sea. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Come. This Lamb beckons you. This God-man calls you. This Redeemer and Savior says, Come, weary sinner. Stop languishing in doubt and disbelief. Stop just meandering, rejecting the greatest offer of love you're ever going to hear. Come. 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 And over and over again, Jesus Christ says, Come. Why have you not come? What's, what's the reason? Are you enjoying that yoke of uncertainty? Do you enjoy that burden of, of wondering whether you will make it into Christ before you die? You don't know. You just don't know, do you? There is an invitation. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. We're going to sing, and then we'll close. Brother.